Well, hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing this week? Welcome to another edition of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge, and I am here with my co-hosts, Xavier Sanchez and Danny Miller. So, guys, we got uh, two new guys that were, at least, uh, Minnie was on the White Sox for quite a while, and Jim Cott was there for uh, two and a little bit after they claimed him off of waivers. Um, so we got two new guys in the Hall of Fame, thanks to the uh, Golden Whatever <laughs> Golden Whatever Committee. Um, so, how you guys feeling about that? Pretty happy? Yeah, feel pretty good about that. Uh, you know, it's been uh, a long time coming for uh, both of them, but uh, you know, better late than never. Unfortunately, we're uh, missing a third guy that was on the ballot more than. More than once or twice on that, uh, the old golden whatever <laughs> uh, committee, but uh, you know Dick Allen falls one vote short, so you know tough break for him. But uh, congrats to uh, Minnie and uh, Mr. Jim Cop. Xavier. Yeah, I was uh, very excited. I I'm more familiar with Minnie Minosa than Jim Cott, uh, as he's played most of his time in Chicago. Uh, very excited. Uh, I always root for all the Cuban players as well as anyone who's on the White Sox. But uh, something like this ballot makes you wish more people were celebrated when they were alive and like those contributions to the game were recognized sooner. Like Obviously, Minnie Minoso was one. Buck O'Neill is another one of those guys who uh, they had a solid playing curve, but they meant even more as a person and their impact to... Uh, the league and what they did for other players. Well, that's uh, that's well said. Um, it yeah, it's a real shame that uh, Minnie was not around for this. Uh, passed away about six years ago, I believe, uh, five or six years ago. Um, uh, if you haven't had a chance, there was a uh, White Sox uh, talk episode with our uh, Chuck. Um, he interviewed Minnie's, uh, one of Minnie's sons and his, uh, and his wife. And, um, they, they are a lot more composed. I'm sure that they've had time to, uh, process the whole thing. Uh, cause me, I'd be, I'd be pretty unhappy. Um, he was up for the hall of fame, I think 16 times and it took until now to finally get in. And uh, they were pretty calm about the whole thing, really. Um, me, personally, I'd be like, what is going on here? You know, because I, personally, I would have thought that he should have gotten in quite a while ago, and certainly while he was alive. And um, I think he kind of got shortchanged on that. Um, like you said, Danny, uh, Dick Allen ends up getting uh, shorted, misses by one vote. And... Um, you know, there is the stats that Dick Allen put up for the White Sox specifically, um, as this is a White Sox podcast um, and stream, the numbers that he put up for the White Sox were absurd. I think one year he had like a 199 OPS plus, which is just otherworldly. And um, that's another one where he's going to get in 
and uh, I, I assume he's going to get in anyway. Uh, too good of numbers to not get in, um, but it's going to be a. Yeah, it, it's too is, late. What's the hold up? Yeah, yeah. There's what's the hold up? Yeah, there's the talk from so many people that either he's a Hall of Famer or he's not. And what what's the deal with making somebody wait ten, you know, five, ten, fifteen years? If you know that they're a Hall of Famer right away, to me, that whole system of voting to get into the Hall of Fame is pretty absurd. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can look at his his numbers. And, uh, I mean, you don't have to do a deep dive to see that a good chunk of his offensive numbers are better than quite a few longtime Hall of Famers already. And, uh, you know, you just got to wonder where that last vote to put him over the top is going to come from and why it hasn't already come. And, uh, you know, I really don't have an explanation for it. Uh, this is a uh, – oh, go ahead. You can go. First. No, I mean, it's just, it's just you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, both of these – you know, both of these guys should have been in the Hall of Fame and, you know, day late and a dollar short. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, this is a little bit of a different argument in discussion with the Hall of Fame, but how do you guys feel with the other ballot, the baseball writers ballot? Uh, when when guys don't, if if there's ten clear cut guys on there, and they don't use up ten votes, how do you like? Do you think most writers should be using? Like, say, if you look at this ballot, there, I would say there's at least ten on there to, worthy of voting for. Uh, but it seems like very few even get to five of the ten votes. Use five of their ten votes. Yeah, it drives me nuts. You know, there there are plenty of you know. I understand the argument of the Hall of Fame versus Hall of Very Good. That argument mm-hmm. I understand. Um, however, to me, there is a a pretty clear cut line when you look at somebody, and if somebody was one of the best at their position or one of the best in baseball for years there's there's no excuse i mean jeff kent for for instance that guy was a beast but uh much like dick allen and much like barry bonds the writers did not care for those individuals so i think that that put them at a major disadvantage and with the you know, BBWAA, that seems to be a fairly large deal. And it's unfortunate that they're the ones who are deciding for the most part, you know, until you get to these later committees, that they're the ones who are making the decisions when they've got personal axes to grind with, you know, said person. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it almost feels like, uh, you know, the process for which... Uh, someone gets put on the ballot and then is voted upon uh, probably needs an overhaul, uh, much like many of the other things in baseball that we seem to uh, you know, be talking about year in and year out here lately about all the changes that need to be made. Uh, and I think baseball seems to be focusing on the wrong things to change and not the things that, uh, you know, would keep an increase or a decreasing fan base around. Uh, you know, we we talk about it year in year out about how uh, fans seem to be walking away from the game, and what we hear is as well we need to we need to speed up the pace of game. And 
reality is, is uh, most baseball fans don't want baseball to be changed too dramatically as a game. But, you know, if you look at things like Hall of Fame votes, most baseball fans are going to say, you know what, that does need to change. And, uh, you know, who pays your bills? It's these guys across the nation. So, you know, I think it's time to uh, put those axes that they have to grind down. The other problem I have with the Baseball Writers uh, Association of America being uh, doing the voting is how many of these guys now that are members have actually seen some of these golden era players play? You know, uh, you can look up video clips wherever you'd like. And you can look up stats on paper. But uh, do these guys really have any idea what they're voting on? You know, and this is one of those moments where I'd like to say that maybe the eye test would it be something that would be nice, but uh, you know, the reality is is if you got a bad attitude or you you're you're opinionated, you're vocal, like uh some of the names you threw out there, which we all know uh most of those guys were vocal. Maybe I wouldn't say bad attitude, but they were very vocal about uh their opinions. Uh it's unfortunate that uh these are the kinds of things that are keeping them away from uh the glory that they deserve. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as like a, a Dick Allen goes, you know, he didn't play games, you know, which which uh, is one of these things that seems to be prevalent with these writers is that they get their favorites, and if you don't play to that, then you're labeled as being difficult or whatever. And you know, I mean, I'm not going to make excuses for. Uh, for Barry Bonds or Jeff Kent, because both of them did things that, um, you know, I don't blame people not necessarily uh, enjoying dealing with them. But at the same time, I mean, what what are we voting on here? Are we voting on baseball skill or are we voting on whether or not you like them as a person and whether they're a cool guy to go grab a beer with? You know what I'm saying? Right. Right, and you know, you know, the knock on Barry is his, you know, suspected, uh, pers- performance enhancing drug issues, and uh, the reality is, is if you look at his numbers before any of those those issues came up, he was already a Hall of Fame status numbers, you know, four hundred, four hundred club before you know people can claim that his hat size grew an inch or his you know his, his shoe size went from a 13 to a 16 or whatever it was uh you know the guy was stealing bases at a ginormous clip and hitting home runs left and right so you know i don't know uh i think he was on a hall of fame track and uh, you know you could you could stick whatever needle you want in your butt but uh you still got to put the ball you still got to take a round ball with a round bat and hit it square and make it go out of the park. And, uh, you know, he was able to do that. So uh, I'm sure uh, we're seeing the votes kind of creep up for him year, year over year here lately. Uh, he will eventually make it, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But uh, there are a handful of other guys that have been uh, locked up in that discussion as well who are not as fortunate as he has been with the uh, rise in votes. So, but again, we're getting off track here. We're talking about other guys, and uh, this is a White Sox stream slash podcast. So, yeah, you um, know, fair enough. Stop there. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, uh, you know, 
we we can sit here and talk about uh, you know we we can obviously the the Hall of Fame in general there's there's definitely a a lot to be uh, left to be desired with their methodology for deciding who gets into the Hall of Fame. Um, so that actually gives me a really nice segue to something else that directly affects the stats that players are putting up. And this goes to a report that was released uh, pretty much right after we had our stream last week. Um, that it was, yeah, that it was found out that Major League Baseball used two different baseballs in the same season. And uh, there were, uh, it was an astrophysicist that did the, uh, that did all the uh, figures and equations and managed to match up the lots uh, from that the balls were made from, and um, it was found that uh, there was a heavier ball and a lighter ball, and there was, uh, if I remember correctly from the article, more or less that the balls changed about the same time that they made the change with the the quote unquote sticky stuff. The go juice. Yeah. So, if this is the case that the league, and, and this has been, this is not the first time that we've had this conversation, that Major League Baseball is tampering with their own game mid-season. Now, if they're tampering with the baseball. How seriously can you take some of these numbers that you're seeing year upon year when you don't have a clear-cut same value being the baseball? That's one of the, it's it's like if you allow the baseball players to use the cork bat half the year and then use a solid wood bat for half the year. You can't take the stats and use them if you're not on a level playing field. No, oh, now combine that with the uh, with the current CBA talks and uh, what players expect for uh, a threshold, and what you know the the ownership wants to reduce that threshold. And if we want to, if you want to, if you're an owner and you want to use stats. As in your arbitration, yeah, right. These guys don't want to, they they don't want to pay these guys any more money, and players are like, wait a minute, you know, you're messing with my game. Especially, you know, these guys. We've got tons of players out there with incentive laden contracts, and Major League Baseball decides they want to change the ball partially through the season. These guys might be on track to hit those incentives, and then, oh, sorry, not going to get there because we're going to deaden the ball. There seems to be a huge issue with that. So, uh, thanks, Mr. Manfred. Uh, he, I, I saw a quote where he kind of blamed this whole thing on the 2020 pandemic. Imagine that. Uh, and that there was a shortage of baseballs. And, you know, they had to do what they had to do to get the season through. But uh, I, I find it a little hard to believe that a monstrous organization that uh, the MLB is couldn't come up with enough baseballs to play a season and didn't have, you know, 
some kind of an order locked down long before the 2020 season started. Yeah, well, there was. there's also or been mentioned that the reason why Major League Baseball wanted to own Rawlings was for that reason, that they could control the baseball be, due to, uh, you know, quote-unquote, um, you know, standards of uh, the baseballs that were being given to them. So clearly, it seems to me that the reason why they wanted to be able to manufacture their own baseballs is so they could do what they wanted to with the baseballs, which means decreasing the weight of the baseball by two grams, which doesn't seem like a whole lot, but uh, the baseball that was lighter, which is the one that was used later on in the year, apparently, you know, if these uh, all of these numbers are to be believed, um, is that the lighter ball travels uh, a shorter distance than the heavier ball. So I mean, you don't have to be a uh, a, a, a genius scientist to uh, remember one of the most famous uh, physics equations out there is an E equals mc squared, and you know, mass less mass is going to have less momentum and an upkeep of momentum. So yeah, uh, it's going to make a difference. Yeah, I have to agree with that. There's. Uh question in the uh, chat that says number suppression and uh, you know it was alleged by Pete Alonzo in an interview I don't know if it was this year or if it was last year but he said that he basically pointed right at MLB and said absolutely they do that judged by what kind of a free agency class is coming and knowing that there was a bunch of shortstops and uh, a bunch of hitters coming out this year with a little bit lesser of a pitching class this year. That that's why they did the you know the the, the process of thought would say that that's why they did it is because they wanted to keep those numbers down a little bit so they could keep the contracts down. Now <laughs> that I I you know. With the CBA and with everybody going crazy and throwing money, you know, bags at people, um, I don't really have an explanation for that so much other than that, uh, you know, we can get into in a second when we start talking about CBA stuff. But, uh, you know, it seems to me that that is in direct correlation with what they're trying to suppress salaries. Again, you know, we talked about this last week about the – you know, with the con- the contracts of trying to suppress the contracts, you know, not verbally saying this is what we're doing, but this is what we're doing. What do you think about it? Am I am I wearing a tinfoil hat here? Uh, I don't believe you are. Uh, it, you know, it seems a bit uh, too coincidental that these things are happening over the last season or two with the CBA looming. Uh, and now here we are uh, with a, a lockout. So I don't know. You tell me, I don't think, uh, I don't think you're wearing a tinfoil hat at all. I think uh, there may have been some, well, I mean, let's just call it what it is. If, if it, if it is what we're saying it is, it's tampering. 
And, uh, you know, we can talk about those contracts that were handed out just before the lockout and the ridiculous numbers that were thrown around. But, you know, the reality is a large majority of it come from a couple of uh, owners that are uh, known for spending regardless of what it well i shouldn't say no known because when you look at the rangers they have an owner down there who is known for spending uh and but as we mentioned before you know the new owner of the those guys on the east coast that wear blue blue and orange over there with mets uh that, that owner was uh almost locked out of baseball because of his spending habits so you know I think uh, those, you know, you're looking at those large contracts. There might have been a couple of rogue owners, if you would. And I think there's a lot of owners out there that uh, were all aboard when it comes to, uh, you know, suppressing numbers. Makes sense to me. Uh, you know, if I wanted to uh, try and pay people less, I would certainly uh, look for a way to keep those numbers down a little bit if I could get away with it. You know, if I'm a if I'm a baseball owner anyway, and I'm a scumbag and uh, dregs of the earth, but uh, you know what I mean. Not a not a big fan. Um, and when things like this keep on coming out of the woodwork, I don't see how there's anybody that's on ownership side when it comes to the CBA. And the uh, the letter from Rob Manfred that came out uh, when the lockout happened. I know that he works for the owners, but as I read the letter, I could just I couldn't look at the letter while I was reading it and think that it's coming from anywhere close to a sincere you know from a sincere point of view no it, it read to me it it was a, there was a smugness about it that it, and the fact that you start early on in this letter as saying that it is a necessary pathway to take although we don't really something along the lines of that we don't really want this to, to be the a thing you know and i'm paraphrasing obviously i don't have it right in front of me but you know, we don't want this to be a thing, but we find it a necessary, you know, road to take. I do know that he used the word necessary. Uh, to me, that's uh, pretty freaking ridiculous that you want to say it's necessary to lock these players out. And you can't even get your guys to come within the same ballpark of a range of numbers that's already been out there for the last five years since the last beginning of the last CBA. You want to reduce that number. That's pretty ridiculous. And what's unnecessary is this lockout. I mean, if they're not going to be real about what the situation is, why even bother? And, uh, you know, I saw something uh, earlier this week on, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, the blog, uh, the blog.coms of White Sox uh, interwebs. Uh, one of the writers put out a future opening day spring 2020 
uh, future roster, and it was the scab roster. And you know what? I thought, wow, oh, look at this crap when I first read that. But the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? We might have, we might be looking at it if these owners aren't going to get real and take a good hard look at what they're proposing. Just my two cents. As somebody who remembers the uh, the scab players of the NFL. Yeah, what was that, like 80? 80, 80 a, I don't remember. Yeah, it's 80. So it was I like remember. the mid-80s. Um, yeah. The quality of play was uh, not so good. And if they did the same thing with baseball – you're looking at pretty much the same results. Now, my question is, is if they're going to do that, are they going to use all the uh, the guys from the minor league rosters? Because none of them are MLBPA. Right. And if they're not MLBPA, is it going to be looked at as uh, crossing the picket lines? And are they going to, uh, you know, when they're rolling up, are they going to have to drive by a big, giant, inflatable black rat like they do uh, <laughs> when non-union guys show up down in the city? <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a fair question, I, and I would have to assume that if that were uh, the case, I, I would I would think that uh, anybody who believes they have a shot at ever making a major league roster is going to take themselves out of that situation because you're kind of foregoing. You're you're con, you're uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? You are projecting yourself as a, as an MLB player at some point. And I would say that you are crossing picket lines. So yeah, if it's, if that's the case, we're probably going to end up with the dregs of the minor leagues and guys who know they never have a shot. So this is their shot. You know what I mean? And uh, that's not going to do us as fans any good. That's not going to do the game of baseball any good. Sure. We'll have something to watch on TV, but are we going to be thrilled about it? Yeah, no, fans, I can't how imagine many more fans so. Are lose? Yeah, well, that I mean that brings that brings up another thing is there are still people that don't watch baseball due to the last you know big labor disagreement. There are people that still are not watching that just left and never came back, and you know. As you were saying about the thing of, you know, Manfred saying, oh, we need to make the game faster. You know, we need to make it appeal more to the younger crowd. This is 100% in the wrong direction, as are all of their social media policies and their blackout rules and pretty much anything that they could do to reach a younger generation in baseball. They do exactly the opposite. They say they want to grow the game, but yet there's still all these ridiculous restrictions on uh, on highlights, and they they guard their highlights with their life. You know, I mean, it's just you know, I understand that they they're trying, they're still trying for for some reason they're still trying to figure out how to monetize this stuff. I mean, the NBA and NFL. And basically every not backwards sports league has figured this stuff out years ago. And if you go on Twitter, easily accessible, all sorts of highlights. You know, uh, that's part partially the reason that 
this uh, that that our site exists of White Sox Daily is that nobody puts out minor league highlights at all. Like you, you don't see them anywhere. So now they do. Find them here. Yeah, yeah. Now you come to White Sox Daily or Daily White Sox on Twitter, and you search up you know whatever player you want to see highlights from from things that they did, you know, in the last couple of years, and you're going to find those highlights on our Twitter account. But the only ones that you see on the White Sox is when Luis Robert was out there hitting balls over the bull in Durham, you know, like that, that's literally the only, when there was like a big home run, that was pretty much it. But other than that, you don't see anything anywhere. And you don't, you certainly don't see anything for the, the, you know, the guys that aren't the marquee names. Yeah. Uh, when you mean our page was one of the few that even post it, pro- it was the few because not, even those teams, the White Sox minor league teams, were sharing your videos half the time and using uh, quote tweeting or whatever way to be able to share the video instead of someone in their department or their team posting them. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I, I understand that the minor league teams don't have uh, the budget necessarily to have somebody that's sitting there, you know, doing this stuff all the time. Like, I get that. It totally makes sense. But, you know, I went to, uh, you know, I went down to Winston-Salem and Canny this year and I started talking to, uh, uh, I'll give him a shout out, uh, Greasy Keys, who's the, uh, the organist at Kannapolis, uh, really nice guy. And, um, I started talking to him and got a shout out on the microphone at the stadium and, you know, it's like I completely didn't – I wasn't expecting anything like that. It's pretty crazy. Um, but, you know, it's 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 noticed, you know. These these guys in the minor leagues and the people that work for these teams, like they see this stuff. And, you know, a bunch of them, uh, a bunch of the staff for these teams follows our site because when the teams are on the road – they're not watching the games. They can't see the games if they don't have the MILB.TV account. So they're not seeing any of this stuff either. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just... all about money exchanging hands at the top of the pile there. And, uh, you know, when you read numbers like MLB being nearly an $11 billion industry spread out over 30 teams, you got to wonder why on earth any of this is an issue. I mean, we have a we have a, an unpaid White Sox Daily correspondent putting this stuff out on Twitter. Unpaid. Do you know how much how much do you think it would take to hire uh some you know I don't know, uh, an intern to get his feet wet in the industry to move on, you know, to whatever it is, MLB marketing, whatever it is, whatever he's trying to break into the MLB. You're telling me you can't pay somebody 30 grand a year, 35 grand a year to put out tweets, uh, follow each individual team, you know, and produce content that builds 
the game and builds a fan base and appeals to a younger generation. Yeah. Everybody is on Twitter. Everybody. The generation that is going to continue the flow of money into your pocket for years to come. Yeah. And I mean, this is ridiculous and and it's so short-sighted. It's super short-sighted. And this, this is the thing is that, you know, the people that we're talking about here are the Napster generation and younger. And most of those people kind of, uh, you know, from my old work that I used to do kind of, you know, made the music industry into a complete train wreck because nobody was selling records anymore because everybody just downloaded the records because they didn't care about the physical product. They wanted the virtual product and that was good enough for them. You know, some people still, you know, buy the records and everything, but you're still, if it's not available digitally, it's so hard to get, you know, there aren't there. It's it's not like it used to be. You can't walk into Best Buy and find racks and racks and racks of CDs. No, you know, it's it's the same thing with uh, you know with baseballs. If I if if somebody can go online and go to you know whatever site and stream it for free, they're not going to pay you for your product. That's if they even are that motivated to try and find it. Is it if you don't well, put this stuff right the in their thing. faces, you know, it's it's that's not going to do it. There might be a whole lot of people that are willing to pay for it. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that I can go on social media any given day of the week during baseball season, and there's umpteen amount of people going, Hey, where can I find where where can I find a stream for this game? And what service can I find it? You, it's it's difficult enough to find out what channel they're playing on if it's not on Comcast Sportsnet on cable. Yep. How are you marketing your your business? I would give you an F minus. <laughs> F minus minus. Uh, Xavier, um, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, say that uh, Danny and I are older than you. Um, when it comes to people that are closer to your age, because, uh, I don't understand, uh, all your guys, uh, you know, these things that you young people do, uh, how do people that you talk to that are closer to your age bracket, what did, do they say anything about this stuff? Or is there like a, you know, like a, a thought process from people that says that this is you know, the, the way they're doing things now is dumb. I think that's what's great about this show. We got a nice dynamic of ages going. Me, me and you guys. So I get to hear from... Oh, from the old guys. Far. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. And uh, we've, we've definitely had different uh, experiences with the baseball. Because uh, I definitely didn't know there was a, a scab football players. I only remember the 2011 uh, stuff with the refs or however long those go. Um, well, what a uh, different, that was. Oof. Different, uh, I got I got friends who like to just go to games and enjoy themselves, and then I got like the friends who are like deep in the baseball. They played it. They watched it. Um, it's hit or miss. Uh, they definitely critique and dislike some of the things that they're doing and not 
like they they find it dumb how they you can all these ideas are being shared but n- none of them are like being implemented whether it's like or viewing or just like what you can share online all these ideas have been out there they've been spoken they've been shared heavily by other people Yet then the MLB goes to, and decides to touch. I shouldn't say the MLB. Major League Baseball uh, decides to change something else up instead of what people are actually discussing. Which that people are always questioning: why, why touch something that no one's talking about when there's things we have issues with that no one's doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really have anything to add to that. That's about as best as you can say it. Yeah, the the, the whole thing's absurd. And, uh, you know, I mean... It is. I, if we're sitting here talking about this on this stream slash podcast, and we understand this, how is it that they have not figured out part, you know, even partially some of this stuff? That, you know, the, a lot of these things need to be fixed if they want to continue to keep the fan base, you know, at least, at least, you know, somewhat at a flat. I mean, I understand that right now that the dollar, you know, the dollars keep on creeping up, you know, and that every year I think they said, I, I think I read that it every year they make 5% more or something, something along those lines is that I understand that the, the, the money keeps on coming in and it keeps on getting bigger and bigger and, you know, so they're still making money, but at some point, the older people are going to start doing this. And as much as me as it pains me to say it, you know, we're not getting any younger, and eventually we're going to fall off. And where are their fans going to come from? All these fans that they have basically, uh, you know, blackout to you know to non fandom. With their uh, hard stances on some of these uh, some of these issues, I don't know. To me, it's just uh, counterproductive and uh, silly. And I know it's been talked about before by uh, many people, but um, you know, kind of had to get that off my off my chest. And just like the sharing of information, like when you're trying to look up something, it's not as easy to maneuver. Like when it came to the playoffs, I I could not figure out half the half the time where to watch, where to listen to these playoff games. Cause it felt like they were moved around every couple of days. And that just didn't make sense. I, there was not a lot of posts by major league baseball or the white Sox. That was like a clear cut uh, tweet. That was like, okay, tune in here, here and here, like well in advance. They might've done it like seconds before, but I don't recall seeing too much, uh, quality sharing of information when it came to that. No, as a matter of fact, you know, first thing people are going to say is Google it, Google it. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, and you do that, you go on whatever, you know, search engine you want. And often it's wrong. The information that you find is wrong. And, uh, that's an, that's an issue. It's a big issue. Yeah. I always, there's always like these questions that pop in my head. I'm like, I can always Google it. But there, there's people out there that that's like their job to, to be doing and sharing these things and make it a little easier. And 
like Googling, it's going to take me a couple more steps than the person whose job it is to just share it and be clear cut on how to get there. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not just a White Sox thing. It's, it's league wide. It's a league wide issue. Um, you know, the White Sox are generally, you know, fairly decent with, uh, social media stuff as far as like, you know, tweets and stuff like that. Um, I would say probably one of the best ones uh, as far as like uh, Twitter follows and stuff is probably the Miami Marlins. They're uh, always good for some, you know, some nonsense that they're uh, that they're doing. Um, always being sarcastic and snarky, and it's it's a it's a good follow. Um, but not all teams do that. It's not a uh, no. it's not a standardized thing. It's a uh, by team, you know, and whoever's running the account. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, there's a handful of accounts out there that make it interesting for, you know, just about anyone to uh, enjoy. Yeah, it, but it gets the information out there, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that it's not uh, a wider spread or more widespread uh, practice. Yeah, not a, not a fan. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh... I don't know. It's just one of those things, you know, like I, I I wanted to talk about it and kind of get, you know, like pick your guy's brain as far as as far as that topic went, you know, just we haven't talked about that one in here so much. So and I especially wanted to hear from what uh, what Xavier says, you know, for the for the younger crowd, you know, still wet behind the ears and whatever. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) so. Moving. Find that funny at all. Yeah, well, he doesn't know what it means. You know, it's an old person <laughs> saying, you know, I just, uh, I just, you know, I, no matter how hard I try, I'm still going to throw out those, uh, those old phrases and there's only so much I can do about it. Well, no, and you bring up actually a really good point there too, as well. Uh, you know, let's, let's be honest. There are some older Fox fans and I'm not trying to say that the old folks don't know how to use technology but you know it's it's not uncommon for some of the folks that are you know older than uh the the folks here that uh are a little less savvy when it comes to uh the technology social media department and uh you know how do we you can't expect those people to be on the lookout for you know changes in schedules and and marketing for that matter, you know, uh, so these are kinds of things that, you know, you might want to put up during a broadcast where they're watching a game. Uh, you get the folks that uh, I watch the game with my eyes and not uh, on a stat sheet, you know, maybe throw some stuff up during a game. They do it like once or twice on a broadcast. And if you got up to, uh, you know, use the old, uh, potty or, uh, you know, go throw a hot dog on the, on the, you know, in the old, uh, nucleator uh you can miss that rather quickly and uh you can't expect a lot of folks to even you know go on the web and find the bad information that's out there (laughs) uh to add to that when when we're talking about like the difference between the different fan groups i don't i i don't like that when people like do make changes and say uh why why are we making these changes that seem to be for like the younger crowd? You're going to lose the older crowd. There's got to be a little give and take with that. Because as you said, they're not going to be here much longer. 
So why why do you put so much effort into those older fans when these younger fans are going to be here longer? So you're going to want to do whatever you can to keep them along. Yeah, I mean that's there's something to be said for that. I mean, but personally, I don't see any reason why you know I don't see any reason why they would have to alienate either parts yeah. of the fan base. You know, it's right. common sense stuff that they can do that makes both groups both. of people happy, which includes not changing the game and trying to move the pitcher's mound back, you know, two feet or whatever the heck he was trying to do, and not trying to uh, put a pitcher's clock on people. It doesn't it doesn't really change the game a whole lot, and it doesn't affect the pace of play hardly at all. The things that people want are the older crowd likes the game the way they like it, and they like watching it on TV or listening to it on the radio. And that's the way they like it. Fine. There's no problem with that. And then the younger crowd, uh, the middle to younger crowd, likes to be able to go on the internet. And uh, they don't want to have a blackout for their local games. I mean, granted, the the one good thing that I will say that the White Sox do have if you are tech savvy enough to do it and you have a cable subscription is you can use their my teams app and you can watch every game on the my teams app now there's some stupidity there as well because if you watch that uh you deal with a cropped screen if you try and watch it in full screen mode which dries me up a wall um but you know at least you could watch every game if you have that subscription. Now, how you link the two and all that stuff, now that stuff, you're probably going to need uh, a tutor if you're over the age of, you know, 60. Yeah, but, yeah all of that is true, but here the thing is about that is as many people are cutting the cord these days, how many people still have a cable subscription or are still able to link those two things up? You know, the other thing is, is, you know, uh, you got people out there that are trying to pirate every stream they can find. They're trying to find the free stream on, you know, whatever uh, pirate uh, streaming service there is. And, you know, from my understanding, there's, a, you know, and I don't use these things because I do actually have a Comcast uh, Xfinity subscription. So uh, I don't have any issue with that. And when I am not at home, I do use the My Teams app. So I will agree with you. Thank you. Um, but you know, if none of that is available and people are looking to get, you know, it, I, there's a lot of folks out there, I guess what I'm trying to say is that are used to having the games broadcast on, you know, they were, they were televised on broadcast television until this age of pay for everything television. So, you know, a lot of these folks grew up watching baseball for free. Why should I have to pay for it on television? Especially since these TV contracts that they're coming up with now are so huge and they're not all cable networks that are paying this kind of money. So a lot of that money that's coming into these teams on, on, on TV contracts is not coming from subscription money. It's coming from advertising money and, and other places. And, uh, you know, the idea that you have to pay for everything is kind of turning a lot of fans off too. Cause you know, it, it, the ticket to a game may not be the most expensive thing in Chicago. But by the time you get done paying for parking, you have yourself a cocktail or two, you get some food for the family. You know, four people that'll go to a, a three hour White Sox game might cost you 
$400 by the time it's all said and done. Yeah. You know, so I, I didn't know that when you watch on the My Teams thing, it crops it. I'm so used to watching it. I, I have an old box TV that was in my room for so long that I, I'm redoing four, my three. room. 4-3 so like, resolution. Yikes. <laughs> that cuts off so much of it. And then uh, when it came to using, uh, we have one of the services, uh, AT&T or X, whatever we have. And I was so mad that I just didn't go with my parents when we got got it because my mom had put an email down for this and she didn't write down her information. So when it came down to being away at school and wanting to watch these Sox games, I I just didn't watch them unless I was at the, the bars or at my friend's house because it was her email and password. I was like, next time you do something with our TV, let me go with you so I can make sure I have the information marked down. So when we go to do any technical stuff, I can take care of it. Yeah, so uh, Donuts33, uh, our very own uh, Mark Orr, says that the average fan base for baseball is 57 years old. So that right there tells you that you might be marketing your sport incorrectly. Just a thought. So, yeah. Um Guys, uh, I think that uh, it's probably about time that we move on to uh, looking at this uh, CBA agreement here. Or and, lack thereof. Yeah, lack lack of an agreement, <laughs> but the uh, the proposals that have been put out, and uh, go ahead and throw some of these things up here and uh, see what you well, guys are thinking as far as uh, s- some of these proposals and some of these asks, you know, asks the, pre- the, the, you know, the asking price that they're looking for. Well, can I just make the Blake blanket statement that none of it's good and then pass it off to you and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so, uh, on the screen, uh, for those of you who are listening in podcast form, uh, I have a graphic up on the screen right now. Uh, that is the MLB, owners proposals and i figured i'd start with them uh just because of some of the absurdity of it Uh, i figured i'd get this out there right off the bat Um, they have apparently agreed to increase the minimum salary for uh the average major league baseball player because as we know not everybody is making millions of dollars despite the fact that everybody's argument is it's millionaires versus billionaires it was actually uh i heard uh, in a couple of different spots last week that it's actually uh the average salary for a major leaguer is somewhere along the lines of five hundred and eighty thousand dollars, i believe and that is with all of these uh, insane, you know, yeah, $20 million plus a year. That includes all of that. And uh, there was a really um, good uh, string of tweets, and I can't remember who it was that put it out, but uh, basically discussed all the numbers of why the average salary is the way that the average salary is. And it more or less... You know, said that that uh, like forty five percent, fifty percent of the league is 
really young players and they don't make anything. So therefore it drags down. Uh, maybe it might even been more. It might've been 80% or something along those lines. Guys that make minimum salary are the ones who are putting in all of these innings worth of time. So, uh, the fact that they want to, uh, not meet the MLBPA's asking price as far as that, uh, increased minimum salary, uh, I am not uh, in the least bit surprised because that is going to end up probably costing them the most money. So, uh, your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, you hit that. You hit the head, uh, the nail on the head there. Uh, it's going to when you raise the average salary, we raise the, the the bottom part of the salary for that many players. It is going to increase uh, overall payrolls by. Uh, quite a bit it's going to be a big chunk but uh you know again these are the guys that are getting probably the most of their careers unless you're a megastar who is getting one of these huge contracts these guys are the ones that are putting out the most innings year in and year out because they are on those rookie deals and you know they uh they play four or five seasons maybe they don't play up to par and uh they're out of the game and never get a shot at making any kind of real money and then you bring up a new crop of uh low-paid players. Uh, so, yeah, pretty much nailed it. Xavier, any thoughts? Uh, what is expanded playoffs, seven teams? What's the opponent draft? What's that about? <laughs> well, I'm going to go down these one by one. We'll get to oh, that one. Okay. We'll get to that one in a, in a minute. It okay. is uh, it's uh, fairly absurd. <laughs> um, All right. So uh, they have also agreed, uh, I believe that right now for 2022 and 2021, I believe was $211 million, I believe, was the luxury tax, uh, the top luxury tax tier. So they've agreed to go to 214 uh, the first year, and then it kind of kind of escalates up to $220 million. Uh, the MLBPA has asked for uh, a higher luxury tax than that. Um, <laughs> now, I, I did one thing I did not put on this graphic, and I forgot, but they had also mentioned putting in a salary floor uh, per team. Which yeah, I think uh, it was uh, about a hundred thousand dollars, or yeah, uh, I'm sorry, hundred million dollars. I can't there. remember if it was a hundred million or if it was eighty million, but either way, oh no, I think it that was, was actually the MLBPA was a hundred million. Yeah, I think uh, the owner said eighty. Was closer to like seventy-five or eighty. Yeah. So, you know, this this part of it, um, this part of it drives me kind of nuts. Is that MLB was the one to say, hey we're going to put in a salary floor at $80 million. So basically, the only teams that that is going to affect are going to be the Pirates, the uh, the, the Guardians, uh, the uh, and um, who's the other team I'm thinking of? The, uh, Pos- yeah, the Orioles. And uh, I think there's one other team that I'm not... Uh, the Pirates... A's, Orioles, and there's one other team that I'm forgetting here. Uh, oh, yeah, the Guardians. So, yeah, there's like four teams that that's even going to make any difference to whatsoever. And the whole reason that the, the Players Association is is doing and asking for a lot of the things that they're asking for is, A, because they want to 
bring the minimum salary up, but they also want to encourage teams to spend some money and try and compete. The issue there is that with the the owners is that they say, oh yeah, well, yeah, we'll put in a salary floor. We'll put it uh, what like eighty million. That's a, that's a pretty good amount. Eighty million is pretty good, but we want to lower the luxury tax to one hundred and ninety million. Is what they countered that's, with, and that to me insane. is absurd, because you're what you're dropping payrolls down twenty million dollars a year, just so you have a salary floor now. That was that was their comeback, and I. This the whole thing of the owners, you know, crying poor. You know, as we've had this this discussion before, um, to me is just ridiculous. I mean, we we've gone over this that every year they're making five percent more money every year, and one of the big things is uh, one of, one of the things that the players don't want is revenue sharing is they want to get rid of revenue sharing because they think that it's a bad idea. And the reason why I think it is it's a bad idea is because all of these teams that are actually spending money and that are making money are giving these teams that are you know that don't have uh that don't have money supposedly um th- they're getting some of these profits, but they're not putting it back into the team. So, expo- oh, you're getting paid to tank. Yeah, exactly. So, explain to me how if they put a salary floor in, which I'm fine with. Um, Waffle House in the uh, in the chat says salary floor doesn't sound good at all. But at the same time, is if you put in this salary floor, at least they have to employ people. And it will allow them to pay people a decent wage if they raise that uh, that bottom bar for the salaries. And right. it, and the idea is is that uh, you're not going to pay a subpar player more money because you have a salary floor. So what you're going to do is you're going to find a player who's worth the money you're paying him which in turn kind of takes away from the whole idea of tanking because it's been talked about over the you know the past 5 or 6 years now where this this uh this new uh blueprint of a rebuild is to tank for a couple of seasons get those high draft picks rebuild your farm system and have homegrown talent and uh the 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 whole idea of this whole thing is to keep that from happening and make baseball more competitive across the board you want to build. You want to give. You want to put a better product out there for people to watch. Yeah, exactly. And also, if you've got, say, you've got, you know, even if they agree to an eighty million dollars salary floor or whatever, if you are rebuilding your team, and say you have one or two players that are ahead of the schedule of everybody else, and these are the kind of guys that you want to keep around, that you don't want to deal to get more, you know, to restock your farm system, it allows you within the constraints of that salary floor to still pay those guys enough that they will stick around and that you don't lose guys. And that brings me to the next part, which is draft modification to a lottery style for picks one to three. 
and I'm not entirely sure. I didn't uh, I didn't research that much uh, to uh, see what their formula was. Um, but basically, what they are trying to do is, in order to incentivize teams to uh, to not tank, is that they're going to instill a a lottery style of uh, picks for pick one through three that you know much like the NBA has where you have the bottom teams all throw their ping pong balls into a uh, into a bingo thing and then uh, whoever's ball comes up first is who gets the first pick and that's essentially what they're talking about doing yeah the problem with that is though is the the pool of players you're picking from is much larger than anything the NBA or you know the NHL or any of these other leagues has uh so the type of talent that's available in those top three picks is probably going to be very similar across the board well so uh i you know i mean think about it it this way is that the first pick the year that bryce harper came out any team that had the first pick was going to take bryce harper now if you think about the nba when zion williamson came out anybody that was picking first was going to take zion it's kind of the same thing, you know, is that the, the, the top, you know, 10 picks or whatever, all 10 of those guys should, you know, read into that, should uh, be those kind of, uh, you know, all-star level talents. No, you're right. You're right. So, I mean, you know, the I both could have picked Sam Bowie, too, if that was the case. Uh, you know, they could have if they were uh, given the opportunity to screw it up. But then again, John Paxson wasn't running the Bulls then. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the next one, uh, expanded playoffs, seven teams with an opponent draft. So per my understanding is that the teams in uh, – maybe it might be – is it seven teams? I think it's seven teams. The uh, top seed gets a bye – and then, uh, what? Maybe the top. I'm trying to remember exactly how it goes. Maybe it's uh, yeah, it's the top team gets a buy, so that leaves six. So then, uh, two and three. Uh, number two would have their pick of four through seven for who they wanted to play in the first round, and then number three would be able to pick whoever was left over. And then the two teams that are left over after that would play each other. And whoever had the best record would host the three-game series. Uh, now, I does have that, a question. <laughs> shoot. Does anybody <laughs> with any kind of sense at all think that's a good idea? What, how, did, how does baseball even propose that? I don't know. It's, it seems kind of... <laughs> that's my only question. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that it would be the worst thing. In oh, the it's world, freaking ridiculous. But I just don't. Uh, why? Like, what's the point? I don't understand. Is that so? So basically, what you're telling me is that the 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 number one team, the best team in that uh, in the AL or the NL, gets a bye, but then the other ones have to play a three game series as division division game winners. Like, what? I don't understand how that makes sense. Like, what's where, where's the incentive for actually finishing and winning your division then? I don't know. Right. Well, 
you know, and then there's the other argument that, you know, some of these, uh, the top teams in baseball play in a division that, uh, may not be very good and your record could end up being better than a team that is better than you because you play, you know, let's say, I don't know, the Detroit Tigers and the, the Kansas City Royals, you know, 40 times a year. Now, I'm not saying the White Sox had the best record in baseball, but, uh, you know, had they not seen the injury issues that they had last year, they very well could have gotten it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, nobody in their right mind would have said that uh, the way this White Sox were playing last year should have been the number one team in baseball, yet they weren't far. And, uh, yeah, you're going to give them a bye and let everybody else pick their opponent? Yeah, I don't – again, it's, I, it's insane. Yeah, it uh, it doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. Like, I, I mean, there could be worse. Uh, they, they could certainly propose worse, but I still don't like it. Um, this moves to the, the, uh, the last couple here, 29 and a half years old for free agency. Now, could you imagine if your name is, uh, one Juan Soto? So more or less, he could get stuck at whatever they decide to, uh, increase the minimum salary to say, uh, say they bump it up to $850,000 a year, which is probably a pipe dream. I don't see any way that they're going to raise it, you know, essentially like 70, 60%, 70% of what they're making now. But say they were to make it $850,000 a year or something like that, he can't become a free agent until he is 30 years old. That means that essentially he's going to put in 10 years with the Nationals. and. Yeah, on a rookie contract with the next one, here's the kicker, no arbitration. So if there is no incentive for a major league team to give him more, he could go through his entire, you know, I have not seen, I'm sure that there's probably something that I'm missing here. Uh, as far as like, uh, I think that there was a scale, but I did not see what that scale would be. There would be a raise uh, by uh, service time per year for each player. So I don't know, you know, say, you know, after, you know, four years or whatever, he would get bumped up a million dollars or whatever. So then he'd be making like almost $2 million a year. And then next year it'd be, th- you know, $3 million and four million, you know, like it would be scaled for however many years that he's on the team. But regardless, is that if Juan Soto comes into the league at 20, he's the best player in baseball for literally 10 years, you know, over a decade. You know, if you took his whole numbers over a decade, he ends up being the best player over that decade. And over that entire decade, he makes, uh, you know, like, what, $100 million? Because he's lucky. Yeah, if he's lucky. I mean, to, to me, <laughs> that is absurd. I don't. I, I. I don't even know how Rob Manfred could could give them, or or one of their lawyers, or whoever's uh, whoever's doing the uh, the errands, could just walk up to the MLBPA and give them that uh, proposal and and do it with a straight face. 
you know, it'd be kind of one of those things, ah, you're going to like this one a lot, you know, and then you walk away just laughing to yourself. I mean, it is insane. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Mark says the players reportedly responded to MLB's original offer on this point by instead wanting to see arbitration arrive after year two. Yeah, that's that's on the uh, that's on the MLBPA side, which uh, we'll be coming up to here in a second. Um, so uh, I'm just going to assume that uh, you guys think that those two are as nuts as I do. Uh, it's just the one of the dumbest that- things I've ever seen. <laughs> Was that a thumbs down, Xavier? Did I see that? Oh, definitely. So dumb. I, I like I said, I don't know how in in your negotiations how this would be even an offer in good faith per se. You know, ridiculous. I agree. Those last two are like terrible. Obviously, throwing those two in, they're like, how how can we pay our players the least amount as long as possible? Yeah, that's what I got for the last two. Yeah, and like the thing is, is that the the whole thing, basically, with all of these negotiations, is because Tony Clark and crew did such a piss poor job in 2016 that now they are having to go back and fight for things that they already gave away, and they're trying to get it back, and it's going to be a lot harder because. Now they have to try and bring some of this stuff back in their direction. And it's going to end up that things that they gave away in the last agreement, they're going to try and pull back. And now they're only going to get it partially, you know, part of the way back because it, they did such a horrendous job last time. And it's, it's, it's pretty sad. I will agree. I am salty about this. Um, no, I'm, well, yeah, I'm salty about it too. But I was just saying it's, it's like throwing salt on the wounds. Was my uh, emote in the yeah. in the chat there? Uh, you know they uh, like you said they they left these things uh, out of the last CBA things that probably they were on the table should have been handled then weren't they made some concessions to uh, to get some other things done and uh, it's coming back to bite them in the ass here uh, yeah five years later so yep yeah was, uh, I mean I said it at the time that Tony Clark had set back their labor relations years. Uh, I said that at the time. And now with uh, these things that the owners are coming back with is uh, just shows how badly of a job they did the last time. Um, says in the, in the chat, chat here. Yeah. yeah the free agent thing and the ARB thing are just starting negotiation positions. And I wish that were true. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. These no. are these negotiations actually started months ago. Uh, there were some actual worse MLB proposals put out back in like August, I want to say. These are actually upgraded proposals from MLB within the last month or two. So, uh, yeah, I wish I would say that that, that was a, a starting point, but it is not. This is a full-on fight. This is going to be war in that room, and uh, neither side wants to uh, give anything away. So, it's, it's, it's going to be... It's it's gonna be like I I I heard the reports that you know we're looking at months instead of days or weeks before this thing's over and uh you know any of the reports that are being leaked now are kind of tending to sound that that's going to be true. Yeah, I, I'm wondering what kind of a timeline we're looking at here 
uh, you know, if if these are, uh, we'll move over to the MLBPA here in a second. Uh, what their asks are, and uh, if this is these are the starting positions, they got a lot of work ahead of them. Um, it could get uh, could get pretty ugly here. So we'll move on to the uh, MLBPA, and uh, you know, I know that some of this stuff is probably slightly outdated because. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's all sorts of things going on here every day, and probably as I was typing this up, there was probably a new tweet that said something else from earlier today, and I just happened to miss it. So we'll uh, we'll uh, proceed anyway. All right. So union proposals obviously increase the minimum salary and raise the luxury tax. Uh, the draft modification to lottery style. Uh, a formula that determines draft order based 60% on win-loss record from the prior season and 40% on market size. Teams that receive revenue sharing would receive compensation picks in the draft if they finish above 500 or make the postseason, uh, per Evan Drellick uh, from The Athletic. So, um, so there I actually have a, uh, a formula as to the uh, MLB owners. There's I did not have a formula. But as you can see here, um, you have a draft order based on win-loss record and market size. Um, to me, that seems to be a bit more... Uh, Realistic? Yeah, realistic, uh, even-handed, and uh, seems like a, a, at least a interesting proposal. Uh, as opposed to when I look at the MLB owners' uh, proposals, and it's very cut and dry. And every single thing that you look at that comes back from the owners is a way for them to, uh, you know, essentially. Uh, railroad the the players and you know and i understand that that's that's their job in a labor negotiation is to try and get as much to their side as possible um but uh so much just a ridiculous like every, every single proposal from the owner's side is just one of those things where you just look at and i know that it's nowhere close to what's going to end up being the finalized thing but this i can actually look at and say Okay, well, at least that is uh, a step possibly in the right direction to work against tanking because that's one of uh, one of their major points is to try and uh, get teams, uh, teams to stop tanking. So this, to me, seems like a, uh, a progressive step forward in that effort. Yep, I, I agreed. Uh, I think it forces teams that are looking at tanking to reassess the idea of tanking by the amount of money that they might get back from actually competing and getting uh, a better draft order by actually competing. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that that would, you know, now obviously I haven't been able to break the numbers down because this is the first time I've actually seen this, uh, 60, 40, uh, you know, market share slash win percentage thing. But, uh, I would imagine that there's gotta be, you know, a decent amount of, uh, math involved in there. And, uh, 
at least a little. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's know, not. I mean, it's probably the the the. See, now here's the issue, is that you see sixty percent on win loss record and forty percent on market size. Now, how they are going to determine that market size number? That's going to be uh, a little bit of uh, mental gymnastics trying to figure out exactly. Well, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, that part of it is where it's going to get tricky because you're going to have to figure out exactly how they're basing that uh, 40%. So that part's uh, fairly interesting to me. Um, So the expanded playoffs with divisional realignment and less teams than MLB proposal. Mm. Now, I believe if I'm I'm not incorrect. I saw this. Proposed divisional realignment. Yeah, I think it's going to nah, be happy with it. six teams in the playoffs per side, if I remember correctly, and uh, the, I think the first and second both get buys uh, for like a three-team or a three-game series, uh, if I remember correctly. And uh, the r- divisional realignment, uh, they were talking about uh, the couple of places that I've seen and heard them talk about it is that we're talking. Uh, going back to a two division per league system, yeah, east and west, That's east it. and west. Yep, and the White Sox falling square in the middle. Yeah, and uh, so either you move to the west, and you're dealing with uh, <laughs> you know the teams that are starting to build out there, or you're in the east. And you're going to be with the teams that are rebuilding out there, plus the uh, the likes of the Yankees and Red Sox and and all that stuff. So that's that's a good time. So all of- mention more uh, more more games uh, on the West Coast, which means uh, a lot more travel for the White Sox than they are used to, uh, and it also means more early start times, uh, you know, for uh, TV constraints. And then you look at it on the other hand. Uh, we're looking at a lot of a lot more East Coast games as well, and you're looking at later TV start times. So, again, for, for us in the middle here, uh, we're gonna get uh, we're, we're gonna get bent on that one a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, think about this. Uh, we'll have a lot more White Sox daily live podcasts slash streams during games because there will be a lot more late games uh, because they'll spend. Uh, a lot more time on the West Coast, so uh, that would uh, that would be something. Now, also uh, yeah, another. I said that backwards, didn't I? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, an, another interesting point is is that uh, the White Sox have been uh, kind of doing their thing with the understanding that they are in the American League Central and that they will be playing against the Twins, Royals, Tigers. You know. And uh, and the the Guardians per se. That's who their competition is in their division. But if that gets realigned, that's going to change a whole bunch of things, and that's going to have to change their mindset a whole bunch with the way that their roster is constructed and what they're going to be uh, looking for in free agency. So that that's uh, interesting, you know. So, what do you think about divisional realignment, Xavier? Have you seen any of this stuff? I have, but I haven't really uh, much thought into it. I think, like, on the fan side of it, it you, talking about how many more West Coast games, I think that's going to hurt because it's, it's rough to even stay up for games that are an hour difference. Now you're going to be the West Coast game. So 
Well, uh, I'm not totally buying in on this this part of their plan. Yeah, so like we were saying uh, with the uh, two six-team playoff uh, things, uh, Mark Orr has uh, popped on and says that uh, Union wants a 12-team plan and it would include realigning each division into one eight-team division and another seven-team division. And from what I understand is that that is to allow for uh, – two possible expansion teams in the future, so it would bring it up to 32 teams. Um, yeah, eight and eight on both sides. Yeah, so that would, I mean, that part makes sense, um, you know, as far as, like, future expansion, you know, kind of future-proofing yourself. Um, so uh, let's move on to the next one. We have... Uh, the MLBPA is is uh, proposing free agency based on age or service time. The union has proposed allowing players who hit a certain age to automatically become free agents. In the first year of the new deal, there would be no change. A player would have to have six years to get to free agency. In the next two years, players who had five years of service time and where at least 30 and a half could become free agents. In the final two years of the deal, players with five years who were at least... Uh, 29 and a half could become free agents. Right now, players have to hit a full six years of service. Uh, that's also verse, uh, you know, from uh, Evan Drellick in The Athletic. Um, so there's uh, an extra year cut off, essentially, for uh, the free agent, you know, full-time, you know, full free agency if you reach your, uh, your service terms. So um, that's... Uh, I don't know. We'll yeah, see. I mean, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a far cry from being 29 and a half across the board. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you can get it, like, let's say we just use Juan Soto an example on the other side. Let's use Juan Soto again on this side. Yeah. And say that, you know, he comes in the league at 20 years old and he dominates. Uh, if the MLBPA were to have its way, by the time Juan Soto hits 25, he can become a free agent. Yep. He can go out and get himself that mega deal. You know, which, you know, a guy who's, uh, you know, going to be in MVP talks year in and year out, it seems, at least if he keeps producing the way he is now, uh, deserves, if anybody deserves to go out and get themselves a contract, it's guys like him. So, yeah, again, I think it's a much more fair proposal. Yeah, I, yeah, same. And the thing is, is that, uh, you know they're they're asking for ARB after two years, which the current system is uh, three years of service time. They finally hit ARB. Now here's the kicker with this though, is that um, the players association wants to uh, introduce uh, certain career markers slash milestones that would also make them uh, say they get brought up uh, halfway through a year or whatever, they want to introduce uh, markers that would um, give them a full year of service time by meeting such markers. I don't see why that's uh, an issue. I mean, MLB decided that, uh, you know, in a COVID shortened season that they were just going to take away a year of service time from all these guys. Uh, you know, MLB just well, the, the players' association is just saying we want that year back. Yeah, really. 
Yeah, so instead of, you know, 140 days or whatever it is for a full year of service time, forget exactly what the day is. I think it's 140. But um, instead of, hit, you know, say uh, Juan Soto was to be brought up with only 110 games left in the year, but he still manages to hit, you know, 30 home runs in 110 games, that he would still manage to get a full year of service time that particular season. So... I d- that now that is going to be a tough ask, I think, from the owners. I think that if they are going to uh, – I don't think that they're going to get the ARB uh, moved up to two. Um, and uh, I pretty, I'm pretty skeptical that they will get the milestone uh, achievements either. Yeah, it might be 127. I'm not 100% sure. I, I I couldn't remember exactly what it was. It might be 135, might be 140, something like that. It's in that neighborhood somewhere. Yeah, it's somewhere there. Um, days, not games, by the way. Yes, yes, yeah. Obviously. Yeah, calendar days or whatever, yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. For this one, I think that this is going to be a, a, a lot more difficult of a, uh, a thing for uh, the players to – to get back, it, you know, they're, they're trying to get other things back with the uh, the minimum salary and with the floor and the and the ceiling. Trying to move that stuff, also trying to restructure the draft. But then they're trying to introduce this arb after two years thing with you know things that are going to uh, escalate it uh, a lot quicker. And I just I don't see them getting that stuff back. Or getting uh, this add-on I see, stuff. I see the question in the, in the chat that uh, you know uh, Mark is actually asking: Have any of those markers been listed at this point? As far as uh, performance markers that are going to uh, generate uh, that extra year of, or I should say, take away a full year of service time. Let me uh, let me. I'll get back to you in one second on that part. Um, I can say I have. Myself in particular, I have not seen any of those markers. Uh, I have been trying to keep up with this as much as possible, but uh, a lot of these numbers that I'm seeing are, are coming out in short, you know, tweets. You know, you only get so many characters in a tweet. Uh, often those tweets are followed by other tweets, and you know, sometimes I just end up missing them. So, but I haven't seen them. Yeah, that's a good thing about. Uh, I do have a uh, subscription to the uh, to the Athletic, so. Uh, and uh, Evan Drellick seems to have a, a pretty good uh, handle on this stuff and does get um, quite a bit of uh, info on this stuff. So um, let me see here if I yeah, can... Yeah, I, I need uh, to renew my uh, my subscription. Yeah, a lot of people say that uh, paying for a uh, subscription is, you know, not their cup of tea. I get it. But, you know, a lot of people want to say that, oh, you can find this stuff anywhere. But a lot of the stuff that The Athletic is doing is not readily available uh, across the interweb. So. Yeah, it's um, – I don't see any w- – um, other than uh, seeing that uh, owners are saying that they'll never agree to it, um, I don't see any actual uh, – any of the actual proposals other than uh, that there's a uh, a list 
and uh, that the uh, the owners will not agree to any path for any player to achieve free agents free agency earlier, which is is you know not really a surprise. I mean that's pretty much what we were expecting to see from uh, from those guys. So. Yeah, so uh, as we're, you know, as we know, we're looking at a uh, probably uh, quite a uh, quite a battle here. I think this it's is going to be, be a tough it's going to be a long layoff. It, it is, uh, you know, fingers crossed that they get this thing figured out before, uh, you know, teams are supposed to report to camp. But uh, you know, I don't really know, and uh, not looking good at the moment. But uh, you never know. Like you said earlier in the show, uh, these things are ongoing uh, every day. These guys are meeting uh, pretty much every day, and uh, I'm sure that at some point, I don't know. I don't think some, I don't think they're meeting that discussion. soon now. I think that right now, because it's not. Uh, oh, with the lockout, maybe it, they might have. Well, said. between that and also because uh, the deadline's so far out that they're kind of. They're not uh, in the same room, I don't believe, at this point. Right. So. Right. My my hope, though, is that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the one thing that I will say about what was talked about earlier in the chat about these being, uh, you know, early proposals and that none of this is real and that neither side really expects all these, mans to, these demands to be met on either side. Uh, I will agree with that. I think uh, some of these demands are being made so that concessions will be easier to be made in other areas because at some point both sides are going to have to, you know, make a concession to the other side. Uh, it just depends on where they decide to, you know, do that, whether it's in, you know, salary floors and, you know, caps or whatever, soft caps, whatever you want to call them. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it it just seems like it's not going to end anytime soon, and there's a lot of ridiculousness on both sides. Now, I will say this though: I will agree with you thinking that the players' uh, association seems to be making some more realistic uh, requests, and uh, you know, the hope is cooler heads prevail, and uh, we find something that gives us a product to talk about next season. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't see any way that it's not going to get done. I just don't, you know. With the with where they're at right now, it it shows that there is a long way to go. Yeah, and you know, dragging their feet on all this stuff isn't going to help the game at all. Yeah, well, they already drag. I mean, they knew this was coming. They've had time to sit here and negotiate this stuff, and well, you know, they just in haven't. Twenty sixteen, I, I you know, there was an article that was put out in twenty sixteen about how it was already see- it was being seen at the start of the last CBA. That the next CBA was going to be a, a rough one. We knew it then. Uh, this has been coming for years, and you know, I, uh, it, that's all I got, really. Honestly, I, it's just a big old huff. Yeah. Well, we I knew mean, it was coming, and yet well, here we are. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that's uh, mentioned in the chat is that uh, both side, you know, that. Uh, all they really want out of this is for the younger players to get taken care of. So that actually uh, brings me to uh, one of the things that uh, happened recently is that the MLB owners have agreed to start housing the minor leaguers. Fantastic. And they've also, uh, in the last 
you know, uh, what is it, the last year and a half or whatever, have uh, agreed to uh, bump up the pay for the minor league players as well. Now, I understand that the minor leaguers are not part of the MLBPA, so they technically they don't uh, fit here into the negotiations per se, but how much of that do you think is uh, kind of like um, the Rob Manfred letter saying, hey, look at how much money we spent in November. It's a record amount of money spent. Look at me. Look at us. Look at how great we're doing for you players. Um, how much are you? How much do you think that those two things are kind of in accordance and kind of a uh, pre-planned exercise into saying to the players, "Hey, but look, we're trying. We're trying to help you guys. We're trying to help the younger players make more money and trying to help them out." Uh, you know, look now we're, we're even uh, giving them apartments. I mean, I'm sure it's a talking point at the table, at the negotiation table, whether or not these guys are part of the MLBPA at the moment. But, uh, you know, we already said it once earlier in this stream that uh, it seems the the larger load of the work and the innings uh, being played day in and day out are by guys on rookie contracts, uh, you know, and, and that essentially is uh, where I think the MLBPA wants a little bit more money spent. And not just the minor leaguers, but they want their guys who have made it to the show, yeah, who have shown what they have, the ability that they have to get to where they are, and they're still not really being taken care of after you know, years of grinding it out at the lower levels and being crapped on down there. So uh, I think that's, you know, it's probably if I were on the side of the MLBPA in that negotiation table, that would be by comeback to that. All right, fine. You're doing this for these guys down there. What are you doing for the you know the guys that aren't really taken care of here? Yeah, the guys no. who are the workhorses for you. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. I don't think that I don't you know, as far as I'm concerned, is that yes, you are doing that, but uh, you should be doing that. Is right. that it's, it's you're not move. you're not providing a living wage? Is that the least that you can do is make sure that they don't have to spend seventy five percent of their paycheck on a place to live and only can buy ramen noodles for you know three weeks out of the month because they don't have money and now they're you know malnutritioned. So there's that as well. As far as I'm concerned, they should have a uh, a cafeteria in each one with a on staff chef and they should be fed as well. It should be room and board. And then you get money. That's the way it should be. Is if you're going to uh, hose these guys into a, a situation where they can't go anywhere, can't do anything, except for for that team, and they have to accept their lot in life, is that you should at least make it that they can afford to live. And oh, and you do want them to have a personal do. chef in lieu of smashing entire. Entire uh, boxes of Twinkies. Yeah, and Domino's and uh, Orange Pop. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm pretty Major much Major League there Baseball for. players, supposed to be, uh, you know, some of the most uh, conditioned athletes out there with the, the millions of dollars they're making, and these guys are shoveling hey, crap. Re- the same kind of food that I shoveled when I was in the Navy on a budget. Yeah. Or what I remember when... When the discussions about the housing and paying the uh, minor league players, uh, the most recent ones uh, were 
being brought up a couple months back. And they're more of the extreme type players, but there's even a few players who are siding with uh, not paying the minor leaguers and not feeding them well and t- like revamping the clubhouses. Because it's like, they're like, oh, we went through it that everyone else should be, which sounds like the dumbest thing ever because, yeah, I always believe that like you should want better for the people that are coming after you. So why don't you want to see a better game? That better game won't happen unless these players continue to have the proper nutrition facilities to work out and field maintenance to stay, uh, stay ready and stay healthy. I'm going to do what I can, um, to try and find this interview that, uh, Dan Bernstein did with Cody Decker on the score. Uh, and it was a conversation that Cody Decker had with uh, Tony Clark uh, when Cody Decker was like kind of bouncing back and forth between uh, AAA and the majors. And uh, the conversation that he had is shows I, I don't want to do it right now because uh, I don't want to kind of give the the whole thing away, but um, more or less it it shows you, uh, the blatant disregard from the MLBPA towards the minor league players. And, I mean, if you didn't think that it was uh, that they completely disregard them in the first place, uh, this uh, this story will pretty much uh, show you that uh, they could care less. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so Yeah, like, uh, like I'm seeing in the chat here, uh, the point was made that these guys that are already up in, in the bigs don't want their jobs taken from them. So why should we give them anything to make them better? I, I mean, I honestly, in my opinion, now without hearing this interview and, you know, without actually knowing what's going on down there at the particular moment, uh, I would have to agree that that's what it seems like. Yeah, it's not good. I don't, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there was a unnamed Sox prospect who uh, was talking about the Rule 5 draft that is uh, the minor league part of it is still happening because it's not uh, MLBPA, um, that he mentioned that guys that were on the Rule 5 draft, uh, guys that were in the lower levels, uh, he mentioned that uh, you watch that some of these teams are going to take some of these guys that are Rule 5 eligible and stash them on the AAA roster the day before the uh, Rule 5 draft to keep them uh, unable to be drafted in the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft. And that could be a reason why uh, some of the spots on the AAA roster are left vacant at the moment. Uh, I thought that that was a uh, kind of one of those things where I said, huh, that makes sense. And I totally understand how that uh, he said it was uh, a nice loophole that uh, exists for the major league teams. And it's one of those things where some guys are going to end up getting uh, probably uh, railroaded a little bit and not able to go to another team that uh, might be able to actually use their services and move them along in their career. So I thought I found that kind of interesting. Um, But anywho. Chalk it up for another win uh, for the owners. Yeah, well, I could see uh, one 
guy named uh, Carlos Perez, who I was shocked was not put on the 40-man roster. I could see him falling into that loophole uh, because he was uh, killing it in double-A, and um, the obvious step up for him will be to move up to triple-A next season. So that would certainly uh, mean with the lockout that with no Rule 5 draft for the Major League side, that he would end up on the AAA roster and not be able to uh, be snagged. So I thought that was uh, an interesting uh, two-plus-two. Two. 